and illustrators of the future. They've been providing a means for new and budding writers to have a chance for the creative efforts to be seen and acknowledged. Welcome to Chatting with Sherry. Today we're going to talk with Gary Williams. He's an old friend of Chatting with Sherry. He's got two new books coming out, Walking Gwen and Demons Are Rude. We're going to talk about that and a bunch of other stuff. Here's Gary. Hi, Gary. Welcome back to the show. Hey, Gary. It's good to be back again. How's everything in Florida? Uh, it's good. We're still uh, just kind of uh, embracing the COVID lockdown, although they're starting to open things back up, so I expect life will get back to normal here someday soon. But it's, it's good. It's been good. Um, you know, one thing about a lockdown when you're a writer, I mean, you write. So <laughs> <laughs> it kind of is a, a, a forced, uh, forced way of working, if you put it that way. Actually, my life hasn't changed much. I do all my work at home. The only thing that's changed is that I don't get my little excursions out. Um, no movies, no going to the museums. <laughs> yeah, and i got to admit, though, I miss those as a writer because I really pay attention to people, and I, I, I try, and I do this whether I want to or not, I, I pay attention to characters because I'm always looking for character ideas. So, yeah, I kind of missed it. But, you know, just watch more Netflix, I guess, when I had free time. Yeah, I've caught up, and I'm I'm watching a lot of old interviews. Um, I have this, I have a love of old TV, and as well as old movies. And so, actually, there's this thing that's called the Foundation, which is, uh, I think it's the Emmy Foundation, where they interview... Uh, actors about different TV shows, and uh, I love watching that because it's some of them have passed. So they've they've talked to like Mary Tyler Moore about Dick Van Dyke show and Mary Tyler Moore show, um, and uh, Lucy Arnaz about her parents, uh, Lucille Ball and, and Desi Arnaz. It's so cool. Um, I don't think it has any effect on my writing. I'm just enjoying it. <laughs> Yeah, I like I like the shows like that. They're, they're, I call them embryo shows. They go back and they kind of tell the backstories of some of the the actors or characters that are in shows or, or movies or whatnot, and they talk about how things evolved. I watched one recently, and actually I hadn't gotten through it all, but it, it has to do with MTV. If you remember when that started in the early '80s, yeah. Um, and you know, I thought that was just an instant success from day one, and it really wasn't. It. it uh, all three networks turned it down at the time because they went to the major ones, and you know I won't go into the elaborate details, but uh, you know because of cable coming out at that time, they were able to convince I think it was uh, Warner at the time to pick it up and create a separate channel. But it was fascinating to, t- to hear them talk about how it was not a success right away, but then it just blew up. So it's, it's just funny to listen to those types of uh, they almost feel good stories because it's about people who believe in something so hard. Um, uh, you know, that they won't let it die, that they just know it's going to be a success and they push it through. Yeah. It's just like Desi Arnaz talking about, I, I, I actually uh, love Desi Arnaz and I read his book and uh, so anything about him is fascinating to me. And he was talking about how he pushed I Love Lucy through and he said he didn't know what he was doing. <laughs> he was just he said, uh, we're, uh, we wanted to, she, she was pregnant, and he says, we want to do it in Los Angeles, 
And they said, well, no, we do shows in New York. We send the video feed to Los Angeles. And he goes, well, we'll, we'll film it here. He goes, but Lucy has to have an audience. She doesn't do as well without an audience. He goes, okay, we'll have an audience. I mean, he, just, he, was just, yeah. he was just saying, okay, whatever you want. We'll do that whatever you want and and then he, when he made the deal he says now I have to figure out how to do it <laughs> it they're just they're interesting stories when you hear someone so passionate about an idea that they just won't let it drop so it's interesting to me yeah I know oh they wanted to stay together and they wanted to have children and that was what the big deal was it was the 50s so everybody was having children <laughs> right <laughs> Baby boom. But I th I think the it's interesting. I don't know. Maybe I'm trying to escape from the world as it is by diving into the world of um, before I was born and my childhood because I yeah. just it's so horrible with COVID and and what's going on in the world. I just I, I, that's that was. I read and I watch those and I watch old shows. It's <laughs> my my escape. Yeah, I just I, I feel like we're emerging from this. It's gonna it's gonna pass. I think we're all gonna be okay. You mean COVID? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just you know, and, and some of the other things have got the tension ramped up right now. I think I think things will pass. Things will get better. But we've we've got some work to do. That's for sure. Yeah, and I was thinking about this. The world goes through major medical uh, things a lot. I mean, if you look back in history, it's happened over and over and over again. I mean, people bring up 1918, but polio also was worldwide. You know, it, it didn't shut down every single thing, work and everything, but it was worldwide. You know, it... The world goes through these. It's it's our reaction to it that's what seems to be out of gear. <laughs> yeah, where where I live in St. Augustine in 1820, there was a yellow fever epidemic, and it to me I kind of associated with 1820. Then you had around 1920, you had the the flu, influenza, and now 2020 it just seemed kind of odd to me. It seemed like it was every hundred years there was something happening. Yep, and um. It's it uh, AIDS and um, and all kinds of different things happen in between though that were worldwide uh, and and it it didn't affect everybody but it was a fear of everybody but this one seems to have like gone bigger right I I think it was just because it was a pandemic and how easily transferable this virus was, that it could ride on the wind, you know, and, and get into someone's lungs is, is what the scary thing was. I mean, we've had pandemic movies and stories have been out for, what, 30, 40 years now? Yeah. Quite a few, and this was the reality of it, and hopefully we're, we're, we've gotten to that hump and we're heading downhill now, we're just going to get over this. And, and it looks like there's some promising vaccines on the horizon, too. I saw something about Johnson & Johnson's having great success with the vaccine they're testing right now. They're creating antibodies. So I think we're going to be fine. I uh, just, uh, we just opted to kind of ride it out. Also, uh, the guy who helped, oh, God, blanking out, age. Uh, the man who helped 
do the polio vaccine, the one who created it, a guy who mm -hmm. helped him is was retired. Actually came out of retirement to work on the vaccine for COVID. Oh, good. So Somebody I, had <laughs> yeah, I mean, I thought that is amazing that he actually came out of retirement to do something. I can't remember. He was a, the guy who was the original man who did polio. He was a great doctor. Right? Yeah, if you, if you said his name, I know it. I can't come up with it on top of my head, but I know who you're referring to. Yeah, but anyway, this is one of his assistants who was a yeah. young man at the time. Um, and now he's in his like 70s or something who came out of retirement to help. I thought that was really lovely of him. Mm -hmm. Do what you got to do. Yep, yep. So how are you? What have you been working on? Are you actually reading or are you just writing or what's going on? Um, not doing as much reading lately. Um, and, and just to set the stage so people know, I, I write with a, a co-writer. My name Vicky. is Gary Williams. <laughs> yep, which, uh, I write with uh, Vicki Nurley. Um, we live in different locations. We always have. Uh, we've been writing together since 2008. Uh, Vicki actually lives in Alabama now. She uh, also has a job working um, in administration of a college. Um, and actually, she's doctored early now, but we, we still, I still call her Vicky. She <laughs> um, so allows that. How nice of her. <laughs> we've, been, we've been writing now for, for actually 12 years. Um, we've, we'll be, we're working on our 10th novel now. Um, we primarily write thrillers. Um, early years, we did some supernatural stuff, but uh, as of late, it's been pure thrillers. Although our last book before this, Blue Now, was a comedy. Um, but the book, the book we're working on now, Sherry, is going to kind of be a different. It's a departure from what we've done before, and um, I think we got the idea. You know, I mentioned Netflix earlier, and if if you're familiar with kind of what trends on Netflix, it's very much character-driven stories. Now, the stories are, are part of it. You can't have a, a a good story without a good um, theme of what's going on, plus characters, but. Netflix seems to thrive on those. They get people really embedded to their characters, and I think it shows like The Ozark and Breaking Bad and some of these other shows. So we got the idea for a story. Uh, it, the book is going to be called Tapa Street, T-A-P-P-A, and it's about seven folks who live in homes on, in, on a single street in a neighborhood in central Florida that borders a lake, so these lakefront homes. And the community was planned by one of the residents, and he invited the other six people there. Uh, and it's going to involve, the, the story will focus on a woman named Leah Hanline, who is from Alabama. Uh, when the story opens, she and her husband live in Alabama, but he tragically is killed in an automobile accident. But just days later, she finds out the police connect him to a, a serial killing that has been going on in the area for about two years. Um, Oh my God! To get uh, and the other thing that's odd that happens is she also finds out right before his death he was willed a house on this Central Florida block, so on the, on uh, Tapestry. She has no idea what the connection he had with the person there who willed him the house, or why it was willed to her husband. But of course, with her husband's death, it falls to her. And she's in her, you know, mid-30s, but she is able to work out of the house and to get away from everything that's going on there with her husband 
husband being uh, identified as the serial killer, she decides to move to Central Florida to the house on Tapestry. Of course, once she gets there, you're going to find out things aren't what they seem with the neighbors who at first seemed almost Mayberry-ish. Um, and as a series of murders takes place around Florida, not necessarily near this area, but in the outskirts of Florida, maybe upper Georgia and Alabama, there'll be a trend that these murders replicate serial killers that have been going on across the United States. You'll have MOs of different murders happening. So she will eventually suspect one of her neighbors is a copycat killer who's copying quite a few of these different serial killers around the country. Um, the story evolves from there, but it's going to be very much character-driven, more, I call it like a Netflix-type book, um, where we're going to focus on each of the individual characters, their unique personalities, and then have all those twists and turns that we love to put in a mystery and a thriller. So we're really looking forward to this one. Um, it's taking quite a while to flush out the outline, but we have done some writing at this point. But uh, it's a lot of fun, a lot of fun. So we're, we're progressing down that road, and, and we even got some plot lines we haven't completely figured out yet, so we've got some brainstorming still to do on some of the story pieces. So that's, that's what we're working on now, and that will be out next year in 2021 because, my God, I'm not putting out anything more in 2020. <laughs> no, yeah. It, it's actually the end of the year anyway, so... I was going to put out my books this year. I actually was. And then I was like, you know, I think I'll wait until next year. I was rushing to finish this book uh, to put out this year. And I was like, you know, this might not be the smartest move I've ever made. So instead, I'm just working on my books, and uh, I'll put them out. I, I, I have three books. Two of them are pretty much ready. And I was like, I don't think I should put it out. Not until next year. Yeah. We actually um, put out a book in February. It was uh, this humorous book I referred to. It's called Demons Are Rude. Um, <laughs> I like the name. Oh, that's cute. Demons are rude. Uh, it, it's a, uh, not as long a book as normally. It's more of a, not a novella, though. It's in between. Uh, about 60,000 words, but it was a fun story because I set it in my, my town of St. Augustine where I live, and it just had to do with a man really down on his luck, man. His wife, he'd come from Orlando, his wife had left him, he lost the house, he lost basically everything, and he ends up having to rent a place in a man's backyard where he had a tree house that was furnished, you know, had air conditioning and whatnot, but he's living out of a tree house, and this man's in his early 40s, um, and he befriends a uh, a dog that shows up at his treehouse, but he realizes he's the only one that can see the dog. So the dog's from the hereafter. So, and the dog is about as snarky as you can get. So they have a relationship, but they end up having to work together because a demon has come down to earth. So they've got to, to see what they can do to thwart what the demon's, <clears throat> excuse me, attempting to do. So it was a fun story to write. Um, you may be familiar, Sherry. I, I walk my dog every day. I have a, an older yellow lab, and we have. I post our conversations daily, uh, and I've, ac I've actually published three books on that, too. They're called Walking Gwen, uh, Walking Gwen Again, and Walking Gwen Some More. And they're just, they're just frivolous little conversations we have, you know, I guess in my mind. And they're funny. She usually gets the better of me. But I based a lot of the, the demons are rude, some of the snipey comments and the snarkiness, you know, kind of on my posts. So 
uh, yeah, it was fun to do, but now we're kind of ready to get back into this hardcore thriller of tapestry. So we're excited. We're excited to get writing again. I think I read Demons of Ruth. Because it sounds awfully familiar. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I believe we, uh, when I was, we were on last time, I think we talked about it. It was probably getting ready to, we were probably in the process of writing it. So, yeah, it's, it's a fun, it was a fun story to write. I think um, it's it. something I had wanted to do for a long time. Um, uh, I know some people found it humorous, interesting. Um, take, probably have to have a little bit of a warped sense of humor, but <laughs> that's what I go with. Yeah, I, I think I read that. It was a good book. <laughs> My mind's really not with me right now. Sorry, <laughs> I can't remember what books I've read, what we, books I have. You're, you're on the left. You're on the left coast, so it's early there. I understand. It is. It is. Um, I'm earlier than I usually am for my interviews, so just because I love Gary and I did it for him. <laughs> but that's where that's where we are. Where, like I said, this will be this will be our tenth book. Um, we're still with Suspense Publishing. Um, our books are primarily coming out as e-books at this point. We did a couple of paperbacks along with, uh, we, we had a CIA character, Samuel Tolan. We introduced um, him in an e-book, but then there were paperbacks for the, his two novels, which are Indisputable Proof and Blood Legacy. Um, so, yeah, just uh, we, we kind of tend to go in different directions sometimes with the thrillers. Um, but like I said, this one, I'm calling it the Netflix direction because we're really trying to capture those really unique characters that you see in these shows on Netflix, which makes people just want more and more. So, hoping to gain, garner that kind of uh, attention. That's cool. That's really cool. It sounds yeah. really interesting and different. It's 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 very unique. Um, when we came up with the idea, we have a publicist as well who works with us, and she was rabid about it. She said, "Oh, that's you know," she she really embraced it. So she's anxious to see too how we can roll this out. So we're, we're working on it. It's just, uh, it, it's got so many twists and turns. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. Sometimes you have to figure out whose point of view you're telling a scene from in order to um, keep secrets hidden. Um, so it's interesting from that standpoint because everybody in this book, even some people who may not seem like they have secrets, will have secrets that need to be exposed by the end. So I kind of like that too. I like that yeah. because it's like it's a it's sort of like a thriller whodunit. It, it is. I mean, it, it, this one probably qualifies, you know, the difference really between a thriller and a mystery is normally in a mystery, you don't know who did it. In a thriller, for the most part, you do know who did it. We tend to combine the two where you'll know some of who did it, <laughs> and then other people will have secrets. So we, we may be bastardizing the categories here a little bit, but uh, maybe it's a thriller theory or something like that. Maybe that's why I like Hitchcock movies because they were thrillers and you didn't know who did it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hitchcock was the master too. Yeah, <laughs> let's be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe uh, somebody who's uh, coming along will want to direct your book as a movie, and you fame and fortune awaits. You know, it is funny because you, 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 when you write stuff down, if you do this. I always think in terms of sequels. You know, you think, okay, we'll write this story. Is there anything we want to leave open at the end? Uh, we did that with Demons Are Root. Now, we haven't gone back and done anything else, but we left just a little sliver of an opening at the end. Not enough that you don't feel the story was closed, but enough that you could then take it and expound on it in another book. Mm -hmm. So that's always 
fun to do. Um, I'm always one of these ones, I like to leave Easter eggs in books too from previous stories. Sometimes people pick them up, sometimes they're so obscure, but, you know, I've done some that are so obscure, they don't, they don't, people don't see them. But it's fun for me to do that, even if it's just a, a, a casual character that was in one book that you bring in another book, or uh, a, a character that was in one book who this new story happens in that character, maybe you just describe and they walk by or something. So it's fun to do that to me, or for me. I like it when you write a book and you foreshadow and someone catches the foreshadows, but they're not really sure what it is. Right. You right. know, that's always cool, because that means they're actually really paying attention to what you wrote. Right, right. Foreshadowing to me is one of the coolest things you can do in a story, as long as you're subtle about it. You yeah. have to be careful how you do that. Um, I've seen people do it too heavy-handed, and then it just detracts from the story. Yeah. I mean, it has to be very, it's got to be subtle and like, li like little, it's like an Easter egg from other uh, stories, but it's an Easter egg to come for the what's coming up in the story you're reading. <laughs> no, I hear you. I know exactly what you're saying. Um, <laughs> Yeah, we, we we do that with our books because we'll cross books sometimes. I, I call it crossing worlds. Um, don't do it all the time, but I think in every single book we've even written, even our what I call our standalone stories, we had either a character or some point of reference back to another story. So it, it's fun to do. It's, it's, as a writer, I think it's probably more fun for us than it is for the reader sometimes. <laughs> You're like, oh, that's cool. Uh <laughs> Like the trick, the trick with the book we're writing now, Tapestry, is we don't want to get bogged down in, and I, I don't, I don't mean it's negative, but we don't want to get bogged down in the forensics of the murders at this point. This book is more about the, the, the people, and the repercussions after the events have happened. So, um, in the past, where we may have written a full murder scene and been very descriptive about a, a detective showing up on the scene and seeing this body arched over a a tomb and whatnot, and you know how just you know more morose stuff. We'll probably back away from that with this one and just talk about some of those um, victims. You know, and in some ways we'll we'll describe them less as we would have because it's not germane to the story as much as it is getting the information out there. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So that you, makes you just kind of have to pick and choose when you're writing what's the focal point and because I've read too many stories where um, not to name any anybody's names they're thriller writers but they, they'll get too bogged down in describing some kind of a, a scene that when it ultimately comes out it just wasn't pertinent to the story and it slowed down the flow of the story and that's it's, you know it's all about flow when you're writing thrillers and mysteries it's all about keeping the person turning that page <clears throat> I think that that's one of the most important things is for any writer is to have the people keep turning the page. <laughs> it, is. It, it, it is, and, and it's the hardest thing for a writer to do because I've written some, and, and Vicki has to, we'll write a spectacular, what we think is a spectacular described scene, and then it comes down to, and it's like, but it didn't do anything. It didn't enhance the story. It didn't add anything to it. Guess what? It's coming out. And then you, 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 know, you shed a tear and you delete I mean, that's just what you do. Sometimes you save it in another file in case you've got a story later that you can 
pull that from, but for the most part, you just have to be mindful that you, uh, you know, I've read a lot of authors that will get really detailed on something, Sherry, and it just, it bogs down. It bogs down. I think that's because we get enamored with uh, ourselves. And yes. we don't, it's like when you, um, I, I've, I've, I like to watch background on movies and TV shows, and one of the things that uh, directors say is that, especially if they wrote the script, they get really enamored with a scene, and they'll save it till the end, and then they'll realize it just doesn't work, and they have to cut it, and they it's like cutting your own grip to cut that scene. <laughs> right. Well, you feel like it's something you've created, so it's a part of you. It's the same with writing. You know that. You you you, you put your heart and soul, and sometimes you know blood guts into writing a chapter, and then you know our publishers come back and said, you know, even with a character, you know, they come back and said this character doesn't ultimately have that much to do with the story. I take it out. You know, keep the story flowing. Don't bog down with superfluous characters that have no value to what you're doing. So, I mean, I think of you ever go back and look at cut scenes from movies I, I think of a I think of the movie The Exorcist if you've ever seen the extended version they have cut scenes at the end there's a terrifying scene in that where um, what's the little girl's name I can't remember what they call her in The Exorcist do you remember Sherry did you no. ever see the movie not my favorite um, movie no 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 <laughs> anyway they, they show her bent over backwards crabbing down the stairs at an alarming rate and it's just creepy looking but it was cut right out of the story it just wasn't needed. Um, it, it didn't benefit the story because really everything takes place up in her bedroom. Uh, but anyway, now I'm blocking down. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard to do sometimes. It's very, it's very hard to do sometimes to cut. But, you know, and, and that's where Vicky and I, we really don't ever fight. We have some, some conversations sometimes where we really try to state our own points. Because she'll, she'll do that to me. She'll say, you know, maybe she'll say, this isn't needed. This doesn't add anything. And I'll argue... And then we'll go back and forth, and either we'll realize, I'll realize she's right, or she'll realize, well, we need to maybe just cut it back a little bit. So it's a give and take. When you when you write with a partner, it's definitely a give and take, but I think we've done it pretty, because we, we respect each other's opinions, and we talk things out. I think I could do a scene easily, easier than I could do a character, because characters are woven into the story. That would be... That would be harder to cut a, a, a character out. Um, it's it's not. The, well, if the if the character is germane to the story, you you won't cut it out. But if it's something who was kind of on the fringes, kind of on the border of the story, and maybe they just I don't they they found one piece of evidence that implicated somebody, you just find a different way of revealing that evidence. You you just there are things that you can do. Um, we've we've gone through that, and it's not real easy. But it's not. It, believe it or not, what as hard as I thought it would be in, in the in times we've had to do it. So, you you know what? You, ultimately, your publisher just wants what's best for the story. Yeah. And you have to listen to them. You have to say, okay, I'm going to trust you on this. You want what's best for the story. You think it'll read better? Uh, because there are times I really wanted to stick to my guns. There there were times that I had storylines that I'm like, but this is really fast, and they say you bogging down is too much you know you've got to back off and you've got to rewrite this and then usually once we do what they suggest we're happy we're happy <laughs> with the final product it's funny how that works yeah I know I just just thinking about some of my books I'm just like 
Oh, I don't know how to cut a character out. Um. <laughs> well, then that's good because that means yours were needed characters. You know, and you know, and, and think about some of the. Have you ever read a book that had like fifty characters? I mean, that's those are the books that really I go, good gosh, you know. Yeah. A little much. You know, I've read books like that before. It's where you actually start to lose track of who's who. Especially a mystery. Yeah. Or, or or a thriller, or even a thriller. Um, some big names I can think of that written wonderful books. Um, you just like um, some of the characters were totally unnecessary. It was you, you could tell the guy or woman or is just kind of enamored with the character and kept it in. <laughs> I, I yeah I hear you. Um, yeah, it's just all about making it flow and, and making it move along, yet getting the pertinent information there. And it's it, we never write things in one draft. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's impossible. Uh, uh, the only person I've ever heard that wrote uh, a book in in one draft in three days was Agatha Christie. <laughs> Well, yeah, she, she probably had the talent to do that. I don't know how people used to do it just on typewriters, personally. Yeah. If I didn't have my, if I didn't have my word program that I can go back and rewrite a sentence five times to get it to sound right, I don't know what I'd do. I hated typewriters. I used to use a typewriter when I was younger and first starting to write. Uh, very quickly, uh, word processors came along. They were easier. Um, mm -hmm. Because then you could erase. And you can move stuff, and you can move lines and stuff, and, and it, it still typed it out on paper for you. But it was like it was like that in between between the typewriter and the computer. And I hated typewriters because I hated erasing on a typewriter. I hated putting paper back in on a typewriter. There were so many problems with a typewriter. Oh. <laughs> Tell how many times we'll write a paragraph, and it's either a descriptive paragraph or something someone's thinking, and then you realize, let's say it's got four sentences in it, and then you realize sentence three really should have been sentence one. So the paragraph itself is fine. You just reorder the sentences, and it just helps it flow a little better. Yeah, I, I don't know what I did to that typewriter. Yeah, I was just, oh, I, you, you like cut the paper <laughs> and cut the page. <laughs> And then you have to put it there, and I don't, I don't know. I never actually yeah. had to do that. I mean, I would, I was stupid. I was young and dumb. I just, I just started all over again if I had something like that. I, I just, I always get a chuckle when we'll put out a book and somebody will read it and say, oh, this is great. you got to write another one like it. When will it be out? <laughs> I say, well, let me see. It's, it's Tuesday. We'll get that out by Thursday. <laughs> I know. So it's, it's almost like they sometimes think we can snap our fingers and write a book and get it out. And, and really, people don't, I don't think, understand the work that goes into the writing of a book. From Now, we do, we do outlines. A lot of people don't. I don't know how you can write a mystery or a thriller without doing an outline, personally. I just couldn't. I couldn't keep all the facts straight and all the characters and the, the scenes and the sequencing. But... Um, even the outlines are, are can take a while to, to get down because really once you get an outline down when we do that the writing comes really fast but it, it just is it's comical to me how someone say okay when's the next story like this coming out when are we <laughs> get it and I'll say oh it'll be about a year 
Yeah, it takes a while because you have to do research. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and, and yeah, research takes a while on some of these stories too. You know that was my favorite part about Demons Are Rude, Sherry. There was no, there was very little research because it was such a fantasy <laughs> story. It, it, really was, it wasn't. It really, I mean, it was based on a real location, but a lot of the things even there we made up. So when you own your own world, you know, when you're in Hobbit Land or, or Lord of the Rings, you make up the rules. It's a little easier than you know when you've got to do the research. Yeah, in Fantasy Time, Inc., I did have to do research of the periods that they time travel right. to, but the actual time travel, the future and stuff like that, and the little time travel world that they were in and stuff, that was all in my head. <laughs> I look back at some of our earlier novels. Um, there's a, actually from where I am right now, there's a town not far called Gringo Springs, and there is a, there, it's called Gringo Springs because there is a spring that comes up in a park near the river, and it flows out through a run, and then it goes out to the river. Well, at the time we wrote that story, there wasn't much there. There was a playground, and there was, you know, a few other things. And this this big spring came up through a cement boil, and it flowed out. And there was a pool that flowed through. Believe it or not, there was a public pool. The spring would flow into and then flow out. Well, now if you go over there, the park's been totally redone. I mean, they've got, you know, it's completely different. The spring looks. So someone might read our book, and they'll easily know it's not from now. <laughs> that it was back about 15, you know, 12, 15 years ago. So it's always interesting to me, too, when you, you describe scenes, and then over the natural course of time, these scenes change. So it's well, almost like a snapshot of history. The world changes, so, yeah. And, and think, about, think about this, Sherry. Think about, you know, Michael Crichton used to always write his stories based on a lot of technological inventions that were happening and whatnot. And, and I think now... You could almost write a story now uh, of, you know, your smartphone and has some app and whatnot, and by the time you publish it, that technology may have changed. Yeah. So it's almost impossible as a writer now to keep up with the technological changes and to make them 100% up-to-date. So I, you almost have to sit back and say, okay, well, we're, we're date-stamping this. This is a 2020 story. People are just going to have to know that when they read it in 2025, you know? Yeah, they have to because... The yeah. world's changing so fast. Right. And and it's not it's it's technology socially every way. Right. So exactly. it's it's I mean, really if you think about it, you look at twenty twenty and you look at uh nineteen uh, nineteen nineteen. Nineteen nineteen, no, that's wrong. Whatever. I'm like um, I, you know, everybody, it's you early in the morning here, and my brain isn't functioning yet, but last well, year. Yeah. Okay, yeah, nine, 2019. Uh, thank you. <laughs> 1919. Huh? <laughs> my parents were. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it is. It's, it's amazing. I think of, think of political correctness, Sherry. I mean, think about how books were written. Think about To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah. If somebody wrote a book now, that might not be well received. I mean, there are there are things in our country that are going on now that you, you just can't say and do. And, and for true. good reason, for the most part. Yeah. But it, as a writer, you, you try and pick out a time. Now, if you're going back to write at that time, it's okay to do it. But now, if you're writing today, and it's a today story, you better make it ap apropos to today. That's you know? true. That's true. Actually, um, 
When I write something, I ask a couple of people to read it just to make sure that it's okay. <laughs> we wrote a story that had to do with teenagers. It was called uh, Collecting Shadows. Um, teenagers, and it was a thriller. Um, but in this case, since I haven't been a teenager for a few years, I, I had a few teenagers read it to make sure and to give advice on what jargon they may say you know, at certain times. You know, like they, they talk about their fam. When they talk about their family, or may, they may say posse or whatever, you know, whatever the jargon is. So um, this isn't as much year-related, but it has to do with age-related. So mm -hmm. that's another thing that writers have to do. You have to be careful that you're not making a 14-year-old sound too intelligent. Because I have seen, I have read books and seen shows where they made 14-year-olds way too smart. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, and... Even back in the 70s, if you look at some of the old shows back then, when I was a kid, that th those kids were way, they were like super geniuses for the way they were mm -hmm. writing the characters. <laughs> yeah. How, how eloquently they spoke or how they interacted with adults. Um, you know, 12, 13, 14, I, everything was yes or no sir to me. So um, anyway, it's just, it's just the ways you write a story, you really have to pin down when it is. If it's now, then you better get all your facts right and get all the social etiquette and norms right. And to be honest, I don't even, I remember I was in the bathroom washing my hands listening to two teenagers in the stalls going and talking between to each other. I didn't understand a word those two girls were saying. <laughs> and I wasn't that old at the time. I mean, it was like, this was a while ago. I was like, I had no idea. I was. I think I was in my late twenties, and they were they were teenagers. And I was like, "What the hell are they talking about?" I had no idea. Well, I mean, we had our own speak. You had your own slang, your own terminology. Every generation does. I know. Um, just like you have your own music. I mean, you, you can't in a story have you know someone who's fourteen today listening to Doobie Brothers. You just can't. I mean, you mm -hmm. gotta have. You gotta know who their band is, and, and you know. But it's it's just a way of keeping things right. But it's just one more thing as a writer you've got to consider. So uh, for those of you thinking to be writers, just remember it's a lot of work. It is a lot <laughs> of work. And you want to make sure everything... Well, you don't know because what if the teenager likes old stuff and that makes him weird and that puts him into his position in the book? Oh, exactly, exactly. I just meant not as a norm. A absolutely, though. If you have a, a unique character, I mean, my son went through a phase in his early 20s where he was a huge Led Zeppelin fan, and that's that was uncommon. Yeah. But but as the norm, you've got to make it that they're listening and doing things age-appropriate and time-appropriate for them. <clears throat> yeah, time-appropriate, absolutely. But let's say, you know, they grew up with their parents who like swing music and they like Glenn Miller, and that that makes them a little different. That might put them in a position that gets them the story moving. Oh, absolutely! It's almost like a fish out of water with a character. I right. Mean, you're, you're, well, I guess a character is a fish out of water. But it, yeah, it gives them a uniqueness that you that's unexpected. And any time you have that, it draws someone's interest to that character, exactly. whether it's good or bad. Exactly. Yeah. So it it. it, it just because they're a little different doesn't mean that's bad. I'm just trying to make sure people understand. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, it just depends on what you're trying to do with that character. Exactly. You just really on where you're going to take that character, yep. 
So if you have them talking to other characters, the other characters should be up to date and doing what normal teenagers do, but this character's a little different. <laughs> you want them on the fringe so they stand out. So that's probably a character who is not someone who's just passing by. That's someone embedded in the story, right? Exactly. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure that was a little clear. Uh, <laughs> um, so your new book, when is it due out? Well, we don't have an exact date yet. Um, like I said, we're still we're we're writing, but we're still flushing out some of the outline pieces. My best guess is this is going to be the latter part of next year. Um, I've had some life things going on that have slowed me down a little bit in, in the writing recently. Um, Vicky did too. That's why she couldn't be here today. She is uh, her other job has been just consuming her lately. Um, you know, a lot of this, some of this is COVID related. All the impacts that's going on there, just that this year has been a little unusual. But I expect it's going to be probably third, fourth quarter next year before we, we put this one out, Sherry. Okay. But it's going to be fun. It's going to be, uh, it's, going to, it's, it's a labor of love like it always is. So I'm, I'm excited to be writing it. Um, I also do work another job. Um, I, I work for an accounting firm. Uh, and we have some busy time coming up the first part of the year. Yeah, you, so. you think called taxes? Uh. <laughs> well, yeah, and I won't go into details. We don't do pure taxes. We do more audits. But there are also a lot of them have to happen in the first part of the year, but not all. So, but yeah, so anyway, long story short, I'm, I'm looking at latter part of next year. I think we are for this book going out. Okay. And uh, do you have any, um, like, virtual events that you're going to or talks or anything that you'd like anybody to know about? Not, not, not at this point, Sherry. I mean, um, you know, I had put out, uh, personally, I had put out another Walking Wind book, and right after Demons Are Rude the, the, in March, I put out Walking Wind. I had some book signings set up for that, and every one of those, of course, fell through. Everyone I had set up because of COVID, we couldn't do anything. Um, and now, uh, in, in, I don't know how it is where you are in California, but in Florida, just now, they've hit what they call phase three, which they're kind of opening everything back up. So I do suspect we'll start scheduling some things, uh, at least locally in this area, uh, may, maybe some in other parts, but nothing at this time. Long way of saying nothing at this time. Yeah. 2020 is one of these years. I just... You almost want to say, okay, let's blink and get to 2021 and start Yeah, because where's my genie blink or my Samantha twitch or something? You know, let me get out of here. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, we've been going backwards and forwards here in San Diego. We, we're, we're actually better off than L.A. L.A. is in a very difficult position. Um, but, but, but we keep going back. We, 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 um, we're in what's called the red zone, but we're kind of etching toward, they color-coded us. They're edging toward the purple zone, which is really bad. And now they're coming back toward the red zone, and it's like, oh, you know, just wear your damn mask. <laughs> well, we, we have continued to do social distancing. I participated in a 5K run yesterday, and I was so impressed. I mean, there was 400 runners. And they separated us so well in different groups and then brought us to the starting line. The starting line had cones that were six feet apart, six different rows that were six feet apart. And, and literally, we all maintained our distance. We had to wear masks before the run and immediately when you got done with the run. Mm -hmm. So only during the run did you not have to wear a mask. And I think I thought 
thought they did a masterful job of handling that. And I was just, I've been running now for over a year, and I was so happy to get back to a real run. I hadn't done one since late May. So it's it's great to me to see some things opening up, at least here. It sounds like we're a little ahead of where you are, but hopefully things will get back to normal there, too. I hope so. Um, the other thing, uh, I love baseball. And it's so weird to watch um, the games with the cutouts in the audience. <laughs> I, I hear you. I'm a football fan, and and some stadiums, like our stadium, Jacksonville, they have allowed a small percentage of fans. Some stadiums are just playing with no fans. Uh, baseball is different. I'll tell you why, though. On TV, if you're watching football, for the most part, they're not showing the stands. They're showing the field. But in baseball, usually the angles that they show – the players that you always see the stand mm-hmm. or, or you see behind the catcher so I, I can I sympathize with you on that it's just so strange I mean I'm watching yep. I love the Dodgers my father was a Dodger fan when they were the Brooklyn Dodgers and uh, they have like a cutout of Tommy Lasorda and stuff like that it's just, it's just weird <laughs> Worse, it could be you know Manson or you know. <laughs> well, they actually have one cut out of a dog in the stands. <laughs> okay, with. <laughs> I was, and I'm like, okay, this is too weird. Um, and they have I mean, like they, audience for the for the players. They have audience noise, so they could feel like you know that feeling of. Uh, participation since there's no one there um but it's just it's so weird to watch it <laughs> yeah they, they pipe in the noise for the football games on tv too it, it's a little over much usually so again i just i'm ready to get through this period like everybody else is and we're gonna make it i hope so <laughs> i want it to be like as close to, i know they'll never be the same but as close to normal as possible <laughs> whatever yeah. Um, so uh, for social media, so people can say hi, website, uh, what social media you're on, all that good stuff. Yeah, we're on Facebook. Uh, we we don't have a website anymore. We actually found out that um, people aren't using websites as much anymore. I mean, people may be creating them, but people aren't using them as much to go look for things. So. Um, my personal Facebook page is just Author Gary, and we have a, I'm trying to stall and look it up as I'm talking to you here, we have a page for Vicki and I, and let me look up the name of it here. Um, it's just called, it's facebook.com, you know, backslash Williams <clears throat> Nurley, and Nurley is spelled K-N-E-R-L-Y, and you know, we invite everybody to come and just Give us a like. Follow along with our stuff because we will, as books come out, we definitely keep that updated and communicate with people there. <clears throat> okay. Um, are you on Instagram or Twitter or any of those? We we are on Twitter. Uh, we are not on Instagram. Again, Twitter is just Williams and Early. <clears throat> okay. So if anybody wants to Probably. say hi, you can go to those two. Absolutely. Okay. Um, thank you, Gary, for taking time out from your writing to come and chat. Thank you, Sherry. Have a good day. Thank you. You too. And thank you for chatting with Sherry.